Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This is a weekly podcast with new episodes available every Monday morning. The inspiration for this podcast was a desire to write, share, and talk about things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, 3 years ago, or yesterday. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite listening platform, rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts, or share it with friends. If you enjoy this episode, please consider sponsoring this podcast with a small monthly donation by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes. I want to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Snake River Roasting Company is an organic coffee roaster located in the beautiful mountains of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. They roast award-winning coffees, and their mission and commitment to supporting the rights of women farmers around the world are just incredible. And if you're ready to fall in love with your coffee, Snake River Roasting Company has a free shipping code for you to give their delicious coffee a taste. Head to their website, snakeriverroastingco.com, and use the code COFFEELOVE at checkout for free shipping on all domestic coffee orders. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So today we are talking about forgiving our younger selves. And when I say younger selves, it's automatically an invitation for you to check in with which version of you needs the most forgiveness. Whether that was who you were when you were a kid, you in young adulthood, you 20 years ago, you last month, or even the version of you that was being human, and making mistakes yesterday. And it's probably the best time of year to talk about it because it's around this time that so many feelings rise to the surface. We're closing out the calendar year. We're taking stock of what has happened in our lives in the last 12 months. And we're already thinking about looking forward to the new year ahead. And you'll hear people start talking about their resolutions and their goals and all the things that they want to manifest now that they believe they finally have a clean slate or a blank calendar ahead of them. But the fact is that we always have that opportunity in any given moment. Just as a collective, we decide that December 31st and January 1st are the best times of year to talk about them. You know, Ram Dass wrote a pretty famous book about it called Be Here Now. And in that book, he explored the concepts of surrender and presence and being lovingly detached as a witness to the world and to our own lives. And I remember how much of an impact that book had on me. 
and how I listened to every lecture of his that I could find. His voice is actually more familiar to me than the voices of some members of my family. He was definitely one of my teachers. He was a deeply flawed human being, a teacher who was learning from other deeply flawed human teachers about what it is that we're all doing here together. And his core message that is the foundation of all of his work is this, love everyone, serve everyone, remember God. And that sounds incredible, right? (laughs) It sounds so good when he says it. I don't know that it sounds great when I say it, but when he says it, it sounds so good. The words just bounce off the page when you read it. And as many times as I heard Ram Dass say, love everyone, serve everyone, remember God, it just didn't sink in for me that he meant that I was everybody too that I deserved that love and that service and that remembrance. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about including ourselves in the compassion, forgiveness, accountability, love, and service that we so frequently offer to others. And specifically, the younger versions of ourselves that we struggle with, that we still run away from, The versions of us that we can barely stand to think about or look at or remember. The version of us that we are ashamed of. The one that still haunts us a little. And this topic can be pretty complex because it weaves together so many things, including our actions, our perception, the culture we live in, our maturity, our emotional intelligence and our ability to hold ourselves with a balance of accountability and compassion. I think the first step in this process is letting go of the idea that our stories or journeys have to be neat or perfect or completely in order for them to be meaningful, have impact, or be worthy of acceptance. There are a lot of messages in the world, some that we integrate, some that we perpetuate, that our perfection is a necessary part of our growth. And I talked about this last week as we were exploring some difficult topics. Our perfection is not necessary in order to have these conversations. And as we're allowing ourselves to understand and integrate that, we can extend that to other people. Because this desire to have a perfectly gift-wrapped version of ourselves or a concept or an understanding almost prevents us from diving in. Because sometimes we don't know where the inquiry will take us. So it's about allowing ourselves to connect with the truth and the grit of our past. And it can be really challenging in a world where we are encouraged to only show the final product or the photo of us victorious at the top of the mountain. No one wants to see what it takes to get up the mountain. I mean, we do, but we don't. We say we do, but we almost all demand authenticity from others without first reflecting on if we are a safe space to receive someone else's authenticity. And by that I mean, 
is our demand for authenticity a masked desire to judge someone else's decisions, character defects, and coping skills? Do we only want to know the truth of someone else's experience so that we can distance ourselves from them and turn them into another? Or do we want the truth because it makes us feel safe, understood, and connected? And I bring that up because those are some really good questions to reflect on the next time we ask someone about themselves or their process or their truth. And it's also really important to ask ourselves. Am I diving into this work and asking myself these questions so I have another way to beat myself up or distance myself or not integrate all these parts of myself? Am I weaponizing my truth against myself? Or am I exploring these things because I want to come together as a whole person? And I know that even my worst failures and failings are a part of me and can serve me in the present. So those are just some good questions as we begin this journey. And then we shift into asking, how often are we distorting things? Do we believe that forgetting or blocking things out or refusing to look at them is the same as making peace with them? taking responsibility, or really forgiving ourselves. From the outside, it can feel the same, for a little bit at least. We can trick ourselves into believing that we've moved beyond certain chapters of our lives. We'll never have to go back there. It's done. It's over. If I never look at it, it never happened. And yet, when we experience true self-acceptance, either through taking accountability, making amends, or really forgiving ourselves for doing the best that we could with the tools that we had at the time, we realize that it has a major impact on our lives for years to come. Our perception and our ability to be tolerant of ourselves or forgive other people completely shifts. It transforms us. So it's not just about making peace with the past. It's about creating a new pathway for the future and never reflecting on who we were or what we did or how we impacted other people's lives is not the same as making peace with it and forgiving ourselves. And maybe we never thought about that, but now that we're hearing about it, we're suspecting that we might be stuck in that type of limbo. And if so, here are some good questions to ask ourselves. What areas of my life am I unwilling to inventory or take responsibility for? In which relationships do I absolve myself of accountability, refuse to clean up my side of the street, or make amends? What story am I telling myself about the thoughts, behaviors, and decisions that I am most ashamed of? Would I forgive someone else who had done the very same things? What lengths am I willing to go to in order to avoid my own truth? And what does that prevent me from knowing, seeing, or experiencing in my current life? 
Sometimes our fear of being labeled as something we've done can be a huge block for us that prevents us from moving through it, from learning the lessons or transforming them into something powerful in our lives today. And that fear can disconnect us from our past, our relationships, and from learning from the things that we've actually gone through. And I get it, because sometimes we just want to get as far away from ourselves as possible. But as we do this work of, whether it's taking personal inventories or untangling our past selves, we begin to develop tools of discernment. And one of the most valuable experiences in discernment is understanding the difference between forgiveness and proximity. And in case no one else has said this to you today, I will be the one to say it. We are not defined by our worst mistakes. We are not defined by the worst things that have ever happened to us. And we are definitely not defined by the worst qualities of others that we had to survive. As I'm talking about accountability, reflecting on our past, our challenges and mistakes, it doesn't mean we have to take up permanent residency there. And it can almost feel like a sand trap. There's this feeling that if we stick one toe into the past, we'll slowly be dragged under by the weight of our shame, self-loathing, and fear. But what if it's actually the exact opposite? And in doing that, we offer ourselves freedom and relief by shining a light on the parts of ourselves that we swore we'd never look at or show to another person or the chapters of our lives that we hope to God everyone else just magically forgets about. Sometimes it can feel like these things are chasing us and it's exhausting to constantly distance ourselves from this past version of us. And yet when we integrate these parts of ourselves that we've been at war with, That energy that has been chasing us all this time can be transformed into fuel and energy that exists within us and powers us. And it does that in a way that maybe we can't quite see yet. And sometimes we do that. If we can't quite see the return on investment, it's like, I definitely don't want to do that. I see no purpose or point in going over this one thing that I'm most ashamed about. I totally understand that. It's a conversation I have with almost every sponsee. They don't want to do the inventory of their lives because who wants to look at those things? But maybe those things have purpose and we couldn't see it at the time, but it's something that we can call from in the present and in the future and reflect back on. And this thing that we think weakens us actually strengthens us. I guess that what I'm trying to say is that it's okay to lose ourselves and take the journey of finding ourselves again, because life is tricky, and it's okay to be gentle in our self-discovery. Sometimes we have to do what we're scared to do in order to figure out that we don't have to do it anymore, and we only get to that point when we look at the things that we've done. Maybe the processing of our past and forgiving ourselves for who we were or what we did releases us from the bondage that's been silently controlling us in different areas of our lives. And that's the bondage of self. I always like to remind people that we are so much more 
than our failures or the goals that we fail to achieve or the ways that we've fallen short in relationships or messed up our professional lives or broken up our families or just any of the mistakes that we've made. Sometimes those things really bring us to our knees. And it's those moments that we're given this powerful gift. And that's the gift of desperation. When we find ourselves in that moment, receiving that gift of desperation, we find that we make choices that we would never make. There's a willingness that moves into us that we could never muster up on our own given the choice. There's an openness and a readiness to take counterintuitive action, and it just might be the thing that changes everything for us, and we would never have chosen it for ourselves. And it can only come to us through something that cracks us open. So it's something to keep in mind that as we're looking back on our past and we're kind of cringing at this younger version of ourselves that didn't do the right thing, didn't say the right thing, didn't show up, just wasn't the best person we could possibly be, that maybe that person was necessary at the time and we just don't know what the future holds or why it was necessary, why it was needed, why we had to have that version of ourselves in our past to show up in the present. And all of this is much easier said than done, which is why I always encourage people to be gentle with themselves. If we have been consistently nourishing ourselves with shame and self-loathing and anger and hurt feelings and just torturing ourselves over who we were, finding a place of freedom in our lives by accepting that version of ourselves may not automatically feel good. It might feel like a shock to the system. I actually think about babies in this instance because they're in a womb and all they've known is consistent satisfaction, safety, and nourishment. And we can't even imagine how intense their hunger must feel when they've only known that consistent nourishment. And that's probably what it's like for us. If we've only consistently tortured ourselves about the past, we can't imagine how intense that relief might feel and it may not automatically feel good. And if we're moving into this space of reflecting on our past and offering forgiveness to the younger version of ourselves, there is no area of our lives where it shows up more than in our personal, intimate, romantic relationships. Just even saying that, my whole body's cringing a little like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> so I can only imagine how you feel. But just think about that for a second. Pause, bring yourself there, and check in with the feeling you have in your body when you are dating someone new. And you reach that point where you think, how much do I want to share with this person about my past? And will they receive me? Will they understand me? Will they reject me? Our relationships and our sex lives are places that this stuff pops up more than anywhere else. I mean, just think about all the complexities that each of us deals with, all the things that we do in private that we would never want someone to know about. And think about how that lives within our bodies. 
I feel like I'm pretty lucky in some ways because I have been in 12-step programs for a decade now. I mean, the stuff we talk about there, (laughs) sometimes I bring newcomers to meetings and they're like, their mind is blown. They're like, I can't believe that person said that thing in front of 300 people. I would die before I would ever admit that out loud. And they just said it. Everyone laughed and we moved on to the next person. So because that's my life, I know that it's been very helpful for me in sharing with other people because, you know, I've witnessed other people check in with themselves about the darkest things they've ever done, the things that they're most loaded with shame, and they make peace with it and they forgive it and they know that it's a chapter of their life and they don't have to live there and they can share it with others and that's a tool for healing for other people. And in sharing it, it reminds us not to go back to that place. But I also know how different that can be for someone else who's never heard someone talk about these things. So even if you're not in some kind of a program, and you don't have to be, these are just universal tools, one of the things that I found most helpful is doing a sex inventory or a relationship inventory. And that can sound really like technical (laughs) about something that should just be free-flowing and romantic and all those things, but it's not. It's helpful. It really clarifies things for us when we put pen to paper and start exploring what are my patterns? What was I doing? What was I responding to? What was I reacting to? And what do I never have to do again? And I bring that up because I know that sometimes when we explore our past, we immediately dive into weaponizing it and just harming ourselves with it. And that's not what inventories are about. They're about being able to take accountability, reflect on what we did back then, and maybe identify an alternative course of action in the future. But if I never look at it, if I just walk around saying things like, oh, my picker's broken, or that ex was crazy or whatever we say about people instead of kind of dropping into the truth of what actually happens in adult intimate relationships, we'll never get there. And that's a really good place to be, to be an acceptance of our younger selves, to be an acceptance of other people, and to have an understanding that we have to go through certain things. The best part about doing an inventory is recognizing that the past exists within me, but it does not define me. And it can help me instead of control me. And if I'm constantly running from something, not looking at it, then it's controlling me. And I know that we never really talk about it like that, but it's in the making peace with things that we release that control. And so much comes up. I mean, it's just this weight on our shoulders. And instead, we could actually transform it into being the foundation beneath our feet. It's almost like the whole world has this job to shame us and point fingers at us and make us an other for just having a human experience and trying to figure out these human bodies and this flawed way that our minds and our hearts works. And there's nothing wrong with it. Who told us that it wasn't trial and error? Who told us that we were supposed to have our sexuality figured out by age 12 and never reflect on it again? It was just supposed to be seamless and perfect. I know that in those personal conversations I've had with people, so much shame comes up about 
whether it's promiscuity, and I hate that word, but you know what I'm talking about, you know, a promiscuous past where maybe we weren't engaging in a way that we want to share with people now, or whether it's our kinks or masturbation or engaging with sex workers or being a sex worker and how the whole world is waiting to tell us that there's something wrong with us because of something we've done. When really, a lot of these things actually connect us. The curiosity, the insecurity, the shame. And so maybe when we invite some forgiveness into our experience with ourselves, it allows us to forgive other people and to bring that into our relationships. I mean, is there any gift that's better than you know, looking at someone saying, I totally get it. Me too. In my own way. Me too. I understand. Another very accessible area of our lives to look at when we're talking about forgiving the younger version of ourselves is our professional lives and maybe taking a moment to reflect on what are the trends and patterns in my own professional life? What tools was I using in those settings? How was I communicating? How was I interpreting things? Was my perception distorted? Was I reacting to everything? And in what ways was I trying to get my needs met? And how was it self-sabotaging or self-harming? And can I forgive myself for that? And can I learn from it? Can I transform those lessons into my life today and actually propel myself forward and maybe share some of that knowledge and wisdom with other people? It's not easy to do. There's a lot of pride tied up into our professional lives, and it can be really challenging when we're reflecting on things that happened. And instead of saying, this is my part in it, or I want to clean up my side of the street, or I want to take accountability for what I brought into the situations, it's really easy to just point a finger and say, that person did that. And if they had only behaved differently, I would have behaved differently. We do that in our relationships as well. I mean, everything I'm saying for the professional life, it really does affect our personal life and our romantic life. But that's the process we're talking about right here. I don't think that we can automatically propel ourselves into a space of forgiveness without kind of an inquiry and checking in with ourselves and what we've done. And in order to do that, we have to get uncomfortable. As we're dropping into uncomfortable emotional spaces, it's really good to remind ourselves that discomfort is not the same as pain and pain will not kill us. And we don't have to close the door on the past and say, I'm never looking at that again. Maybe that can help shape and inform how we show up today. I think about the worst moments in my professional life. And honestly, thank God. (laughs) Thank God that stuff happened because I never have to do that again. And I think about that in relationships. I think about the worst moments I've ever had with another person and I never have to go there again. Thank God it only had to happen once or twice and I can actually learn from it and forgive myself and say, I'm so glad that happened back then so it doesn't have to happen now. And sort of the third area I wanted to touch on is Our experience with trauma and how often we can beat ourselves up for not handling trauma perfectly. 
and we deny ourselves that forgiveness, that grace and acceptance that we would offer to anyone else who shared a similar story. And so much of trauma is what happens after the fact, believe it or not, how we integrate it, how we heal, how we nurture ourselves. And when we're trying to run away from something that happened to us and we deny ourselves the opportunity to do all of those things, it definitely has an impact on us. And I know trauma is not something that's easy to reflect on, talk about, tap into. We don't want to bring ourselves back there, body, mind, or spirit. But forgiving the younger version of ourselves that didn't know how to perfectly move through the stages post-trauma is so important. And I like to talk about that because I myself have navigated that. I'm coming up on an anniversary in January of surviving a really traumatic incident. And it's so difficult for me because I never point a finger at the person who traumatized me and say, Why didn't you do all of these things differently? But I'm constantly looking at myself and saying, how come you couldn't recover better? How come you didn't know what to do after someone tried to kill you? How come you didn't know how to talk about it? How come you didn't know how to show up for work and just be perfect? How come you didn't know how to date perfectly afterwards? All of these things that we weaponize against ourselves. And I think it's important to look at and talk about and You know, maybe just me talking about on this podcast is planting a seed so that you remember that the next time you instantly go to that thought in your head and you just want to punish yourself for not being perfect during a really difficult moment. You can hear my voice and I can tell you that your perfection was not required. And for me personally, a big part of this work is Believing that I am received by the universe or a higher power. And that can be really hard. I know a lot of you don't believe in God and you always tell me about it. (laughs) I am aware. You don't have to tell me again. But I do. I believe that there's something going on in the universe and God is an experience, not a person. And so when I say that, I imagine believing that God or a higher power or the universe loves every part of me. And I invite you to anchor into that thought and just pause for a moment and imagine what that would feel like if every part of you was welcome here. Imagine believing that every flaw, every character defect, every moment of lack or doubt, that all of it held a higher purpose. And it was placed perfectly in time and space by a universe that loves you and wants you to be an integral part of a greater plan. Imagine believing that your moments of harm, shame, failure, and grief were necessary, expected, and appreciated by a universe that's working through you to build tolerance, compassion, and connection with others. Imagine believing that you can change, pivot, evolve, or take an action that reflects something better than you feel in the moment because you're tapping into an energy of a universe that creates space and opportunity for you to surpass any concept of your capacity, depths, and potential. And as I said before, 
Imagine your perfection is not required, but your moments of brokenness are. And I promise you, every single one of us has more moments of failing and brokenness and of doing harm than we do moments of perfection. So maybe there's something to that. Maybe it's these moments that we can use to help ourselves, to help others, and maybe they really bring us to a space where we can forgive ourselves. And that's the whole point of it. I mean, how shocking and controversial is that? Maybe it's finding some love and forgiveness for our own flaws and then extending that to other people. I've said it many times on this podcast and I've said it even more in person. There is not a single person in my life who felt safe with me or felt that they could talk to me about their own moments of shame and grief and fear because I was constantly showing them my most perfect self. People do those things and they connect with you because they know you've been through things too. And I just want to remind you of that. You know, the whole world can give you another message and say, no, just show the filtered version of yourself, the edited version of yourself. And I want to encourage you to walk in your truth. It doesn't mean you have to pummel people with your trauma or the worst things you've ever done, but maybe being connected with our truth is the actual medicine. Maybe that's the purpose. Maybe that's something that actually helps us in our relationships today instead of harms us. What's the one truth about you that somebody else probably needs to hear to feel better about themselves, their life, their decisions, their feelings? What could you share about yourself that would make someone else feel safe? You know, I always say we don't develop trust in relationships by looking at someone and angrily saying, you can trust me. We develop trust in relationships by sharing a part of ourselves and saying, you know, here, this is part of me, and I'm willing to receive part of you. And I hope this episode, while it may not have touched on every single topic that we need to forgive within ourselves, I hope it serves as a reminder that there is space for you and that people are having these conversations and that you can do this work on your own or with another person, and you're safe to do that. It's okay. And this is all part of the human experience. I wanted to close out this episode with a piece written by Nadia Boltz-Weber. I hope it resonates and that you're able to look at your own life with a bit more grace and forgiveness than you were when this episode began. She says, Our higher power is just the weirdest combination of wastefully generous and creatively frugal. First of all, they'll accept anyone. That higher power loves the sinner and will offer forgiveness and mercy to, like, basically anyone. Just look around. They've got no taste. So rather than our higher power being stingy, like we are stingy, they are just wastefully throwing around blessings and forgiveness like they grow on trees, and at the same time, won't let anything go to waste. I'd love nothing more than to cut the raw footage of my life down to that highlight reel of just the wonderful moments when I managed to be my best, most gigantic self. But in the editing room of our lives, as we try to cut out the footage of when we thought only of ourselves, or we yelled at our kids, or when we maybe lied about that one thing, or chose to listen to a voice other than our higher power's voice, as those bits of film fall to the cutting room floor so we can whitewash the broken reality we live in, 
we can hear our higher power say, wait, I can use that stuff. So if life is hard and we can't manage to be our biggest, most gigantic selves, it doesn't mean something is wrong. Nothing is wrong because our higher power didn't come to redeem our Facebook status updates. I can personally testify to this. My little problem with alcohol and my history of depressive episodes and my struggle with trying in vain to balance my faith and my cynicism. That stuff has come in so much more handy in ministry than the fact that I passed my seminary Greek class. We may wish to curate a version of ourselves that we feel is worthy to be shared, but our higher power says, yes, I'll take those shiny good things, but I'd also like to use whatever it is you're hiding behind your back right now. This higher power will use the entire uncut footage of your lives for their purpose, which is to say, nothing is lost, nothing is wasted. The good is so good, and the bad is so useful. I love that piece, and I am so grateful to Nadia for sharing her experience, strength, and hope with all of us. So until next week, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Check out this week's playlist on my personal Spotify account, and join me on Instagram at loveletters and mixtapes. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider making a small monthly donation to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio.